You are live. Okay. Well, we an error occurred, but I think we're all good now. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Um, this is a special LinkedIn Live that I'm doing. Also, if you're listening to it on my podcast, welcome to my Nonprofit Nation listeners. Happy to have you with me. And today's topic is something that I personally love to discuss and talk about. Um, it's going to be nonprofit social media trends for the new year. So frequently asked questions from both my podcast listeners, my LinkedIn followers, my students, my clients, what is it going to take to actually have social media success in 2024? What kinds of posts are likely to inspire? Which channels get the most engagement? How are nonprofits handling the rise of AI? Which social platforms are they most and least confident will deliver positive return on investment in the new year. So in this episode, I'm joined by the fabulous Hootsuite Social Impact team. I'll introduce them to discuss their nonprofit social trends 2024 report. And we're going to go into key insights and trends, how to strategically allocate our time, how to leverage entertainment, return on investment, measurement analysis, going forward, all of that kind of great stuff. So I would like to welcome... Ava Taylor, the Director of Social Impact at Hootsuite. And Ava has over 15 years of experience creating and executing strategic programs and campaigns that connect brands and nonprofits with their customers, communities, and other key stakeholders. And I'm also welcoming Laura Zubik, the Social Impact Manager. And Laura is a marketing, corporate social responsibility, and DEI professional who's passionate about bringing stakeholders forward in a purpose-driven way. So Ava and Laura, welcome. Welcome to both the podcast and welcome to LinkedIn. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this is fantastic. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to dive in. So I want to hear from both of you. Maybe Ava, you could start. How did you both get into or how did you get into social impact work? You know, I think I've, um, yeah, over the course, uh, it's, kind of been a part of my life as long as I remember to do things like volunteering and fundraising. So I always found ways to integrate it into my early career before I think I really knew what CSR or corporate social responsibility was. And so um, whether that was like I would be running the employee volunteering events or finding nonprofits to bring into campaigns and things like really early on, um, collaborations wherever possible. So yeah, it's um, it's a, it's been a really nice blend of CSR and kind of digital marketing and strategy work. And now I get to work full-time with nonprofits on their social strategies. Oh, great. Thanks. And um, Laura, how about you? Yeah, my first exposure into kind of this formal social impact world was back in university. I was a business student and I did one of my internships in CSR. It was kind of Mm -hmm. more well-known at that point. And I just remember thinking like, I can't really believe this is a job. This is so cool that I get to blend like the business world, but also bring purpose into what people are doing in their work. And that's that's what I really found lit me up. And um, I worked in marketing for quite a few years in the beginning of my career, but kept finding my way back to those either cause-based campaigns or opportunities where we could do community partnerships with nonprofits. So um, I worked my way uh, back into finding a, a formal social impact career. And now I get to work to help our employees find purpose in what they do and, and work with our nonprofit partners, which is really amazing. 
Yes, wonderful. So I invited you on today to talk about the new Hootsuite report. I will put the um, link in the show notes and also on the LinkedIn comments. We're here to talk about this report, the um, Nonprofit Social Trends 2024. So I think um, maybe, Ava, I'll throw this to you. Why should nonprofits shift their focus in 2024? It's um, it's I think it's you know it's an interesting time for nonprofits and social media in general. We've seen a lot of shifts in the landscape and a lot of competing priorities and and you know eco, you know global trends affecting nonprofits too. So it's becoming more critical than ever that they're able to really focus their efforts into what is actually most meaningful for them. So depending on what their goals are for using social media that ultimately should drive the strategy in which platforms you use. So throughout the three trends you'll kind of see how do we define, you know, what does a good return on investment look like for a nonprofit and then what tactics are going to help you get there? And then how do you focus your time on which platforms make the most sense? You don't have to spread yourself too thin. And then ultimately, you know, are there tools out there like AI that can help you save time and find ways to do things faster, better, um, collaborate more with others, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, I think it's a really important time for focus because we just don't have the luxury of time and resources, whether for profit or nonprofit these days. So it's, um, you know, from, an, from a return on investment ROI perspective, I think we're seeing that nonprofits are getting a bit frustrated. They're not seeing the returns they're hoping for or things are changing that are out of their control. So if they're getting frustrated, we wouldn't blame them. So hopefully, um, you know, how to navigate the constant flux of new features, responsibilities, information available. Um, our research is revealing that a lot of nonprofits are approaching social in the way that will help them really maximize what they're going to get from it. And so we're trying to point them towards grounding their efforts and meaningful relationships and relationship building and, and interactions that will drive long-term relationships, repeat donors, advocates for your cause. So that's kind of at a whole what the report is going to talk about. Mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. And um, my next question, um, Laura, maybe you could take this and feel free to, you know, kind of go back and forth. But the report mentions uh, the challenge that I see personally, but also that I do see with clients, students, people that I'm working with, the challenge of just navigating through the constant influx of new tools, features, and algorithm updates. And in fact, before we you know, hit the live button, we were just talking about the changes to Facebook's fundraising tools where now they're charging fees. Um, so how do social marketers, how can we effectively filter out the noise and stay focused on strategies that yield meaningful results? Yeah, it's a really important question. We know that from our survey that we did, over 70% of social media marketers are feeling like there is too much to do. It's hard to keep up with the pace of uh, change on the platforms, new platforms launching. So it, we, like Ava said, it is more important than ever to stay focused and, and realize what works for your organization. And a lot of that is grounded first in making sure your social team is really clear on what objectives for the organization are you really trying to drive through your social strategy? So is that, is it increasing donations? Is it finding new volunteers? Is it diversifying your donor base or growing community and connection? You know, it could be so many different things, but being very clear on what those objectives are and then conducting ROI audits to really 
see what's working well and what's not, um, and then staying laser focused on the things that are bringing results for your organization. And I think something that we see, not just with nonprofit organizations, but with for-profit as well, is that when folks run the ROI audits, they'll say, okay, well, everything across my many, many platforms is positive, but what we really need to do is look at your results in comparison to one another, because while everything might be positive, if one thing you're doing is performing exponentially better, that's really what you want to focus in on. And don't be afraid to kind of maybe drop off. We'll talk about this later, but drop off some of the platforms that aren't delivering those results or really lean into the content that your audience is reacting to. So we're, yeah, you'll hear this, I think time and time again from us today and, and uh, in the report, but just being laser focused on what the data is showing is performing well for your organization's specific objectives. Yeah, and I think, you know, on that point of being really clear on the goals, what, you know, having, so prior to this current role, I used to lead the social team at Hootsuite. And what was really critical from a prioritization perspective is, aligning with your leadership team on those priorities and that will help you also make those conversations about this is why we shouldn't be on a platform i think what we saw with the survey data is you know people are struggling with how do we even get off a platform how do we get leadership buy-in for those decisions if they think we should be on TikTok, but we're not seeing a return um aligning with your leadership team on you know what we need to do most is raise awareness for this campaign or we need to get signatures here or we want to build our email list that's really going to help you say well in that case this is what's going to help us get there fastest and that's where we should focus most of our efforts so um being clear on those goals and aligning on those goals with leadership is going to help you bring a lot of weight in, into the conversations that have a lot more power to change things that's fantastic and what i would say to the audience this is your chance to ask us questions <laughs> you mm -hmm. have three people that live and breathe and work in the social media and social impact space. So you should take this time to, to ask us um, whatever questions that you want. So let's get to the, let's get to the question of social ROI return on investment, because the report does emphasize, and we, we are, we, it'll be a theme for today that return on investment is going to take center stage on social media. And that is probably one of the most challenging things for nonprofits to really figure out because they might not have a plan. They might not have goals. They might not have these um, tactics in place where they that they can measure. They might not be doing measurement and analysis on a consistent basis. So what strategies or tactics are you seeing that smart nonprofits are adopting um, to enhance their social media performance? You know, it's interesting. This is actually a topic I've talked about a lot over the years, um, and it comes back to kind of a pattern of goals and, and tracking and, and, and things. But um, it's, I mean, Laura, you you were so hands on in the data. Um, what yeah, do you want to add here first? <laughs> I didn't kind of set the context a little bit for what we're what direction we're hearing nonprofits should go to understand what ROI can come from your social in the first place. So. What we learned is that consumers are coming to social media for entertainment. You know, after actually using it for socialization with their friends and family, the number one reason they're telling us is I want to be entertained. And entertainment can mean a lot of different things and we can get into that. I don't want to, to scare you off by thinking entertainment means you need to be funny or lighthearted. You know, it can mean I'm learning something or I'm feeling hopeful or I'm connecting with folks. 
Um, but what we learn is that nonprofits are not necessarily giving consumers that through their social strategies. Um, we're yeah. seeing that a lot of product or brand updates or news is the majority of what nonprofits are sharing on, you know, multiple times a week or even a daily basis. Uh, but then there's a little bit of a disconnect when nonprofits go to measure the ROI of their social strategies right now. 80% of nonprofits are using engagement as their top metric. But hmm. I don't think it's surprising that if you think about that critically, if you're measuring engagement, but you're not actually giving your audience content they want to engage with, your ROI is going to be a little bit disappointing if that's kind of how you're showing leadership, how you're doing. So there's a bit of a disconnect that we're seeing from the data. Um, and then, Ava, I don't know if you want to you want to comment there on how you might want to actually link those two things together and measure. But we've got a lot of suggestions in the report as well about kind of the tactics to get into changing that strategy. Yeah, the you know, and this isn't even like it's not even just a nonprofit specific issue. But when it comes to just measuring what you know, I think what part of the trouble is too that. Um, you know, we don't cover in, in depth in the report itself, but there's a wealth of data available to you, especially on the engagement side. So it's really natural for any social media marketer to want to, to go to what's easily available. And um, if you can put kind of that effort in to connect your, your measurements and your KPIs to the goals that you're trying to measure through things like um, UTMs, we use a lot of tracking links on our side. I can't stress enough how important it is to understand this particular platform and this particular post drove this, this newsletter sign up or this donation or this visit to this campaign page like that is a game changing component of a social strategy for any organization and we do have a lot of resources we can share on how to do that but it's something that absolutely changed the game for for my social teams and the nonprofits that we've worked with and that's how you can actually say like this platform and this campaign drove a real return on investment this content was engaging like it educated people it gave them hope it connected them to the cause it showed transparency and impact on what we were doing as a nonprofit. and we saw a multitude of results and of those results we care a lot about people who are joining our newsletter for example so that we can reach them throughout the year outside of social media if there is an algorithm change and there's an urgent appeal we know we can reach out to them at any point and they've shown a real interest so that that kind of pathway of thinking about it feels like it might be a lot of work up front. It's it's not that much work to get it in place, but obviously with competing priorities and lack of time and, and maybe small teams, it is something that will actually save you a tremendous amount of time down the road. And so investing in that now is what's going to help you actually be tremendously successful in 2024. Yes. Oh, Perfect. Absolutely. I want to take a break from my questions um, and ask a couple of questions from the audience. So Jennifer says, how often should we post leading up to end of the year as most gifts come in the last week of the year? What do you think? It's a good question. I think consistency around posting is something that we hear a lot. And obviously year end is tremendously important for nonprofits. And one of the partners mm -hmm. that we've been working with really closely this year, that's I think quite relate, relevant to this is Giving Tuesday. So uh, we've kind of been working hand in hand mm -hmm. with that organization. And, you know, a, a big part of driving successful year end campaigns is actually a lot of the work in the lead up to the year end. So, you know, it is a really competitive time right now. So, you know, posting consistently and giving quality and then showing impact year round is actually going to help boost your year end campaign as well. So you can actually alleviate some of the heavy posting now 
by doing it earlier in the year and tapping into those kind of key moments throughout the year, those, those kind of national dates and things too. But just to kind of address this question right now, as I know nonprofits are looking for, for you know, as much um, donations as they possibly can, it would be, you know, probably worthwhile to actually not go too heavy on the posting. I think what you don't want to do is drive people away with too many fundraising asks all at once so that they decide to unfollow you and you can't reach them in the new year with with other content and other updates. So maintaining a balance is really important mm -hmm. here. And I know, Laurie, you've probably got some data to, to kind of speak to this as well. But um, you don't want to make it just about fundraising asks. It, as it's quite important. And it will be more effective if you can balance it with those updates. So if you can kind of get what we heard from some of the nonprofits we've spoken to is kind of a, a balance of, you know, maybe 2080, like trying to keep those fundraising asks actually to the fairly minimum level and balancing it with stories of impact and visibility into who's running the organization so people trust the nonprofit. Do you want to add to that, Laura? I just think you've hit on such an important point with the buildup throughout the entire year. I think a bit of a trap that we see organizations fall into is that they think of social media as their fundraising engine. And there is, like you said, there is mass potential for fundraising on social media, but it can't be the only pillar of your social strategy. It should just be one pillar of your right. social strategy. And really organizations like where we've kind of hinted at with that entertainment piece and the engagement metric is like you said, the relationships need to be built all year. And when you build those really strong relationships, then you have this owned audience of already invested and loyal supporters that you can hit with more direct targeted asks, maybe by having accumulated yes. them, like Eva said, with measurement to build your email list. And that's the way you're reaching them instead of just kind of hitting them over the head with fundraising asks on, on social media. So yeah, I just think I just want to really yep. re-emphasize that point of year-round relationship building um, and not overdoing it on the fundraising asks. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's all about what you do throughout the year. It's all about mm -hmm. consistency and like you said, good storytelling, sharing your impact. And what we don't want is we don't want donors to think that they are trans actions on a bank statement. Exactly. We want it to be more relational and we want it to be, they feel that they're part of something meaningful and a, a bigger cause. They're, they're part of something bigger than themselves, something that reflects their values and ethics and that they're not just sort of like an ATM. So that's, totally. that's how, that's, you know, what we want to cultivate. All right. So let's do one more question. Then I'll go back to my questions. We do have a lot of, um, coming in, but, um, you know, Hootsuite scheduling platform, scheduling and management platform. Is there a best practice in terms of scheduling the right amount of social media posts? Yeah, and you know, um, this is kind of gonna touch a little bit on kind of the AI kind of data-driven features. And I can see there's even oh, other yeah. questions about, you know, one person communications team, Nathan, <laughs> I feel your pain, I've been there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's important, I think, to leverage tools where you can to save time. So one of the things that, and I'm, this is this discussion really isn't about Hootsuite specifically, but um, you know, for the nonprofits that we get to work with, we can see that there are tools that will save them time. So in terms of best practice, like it's kind of amazing. We like in our like what we do on our side, for example, because we obviously use our own tool, is we can be like, oh, cool, I'm going to schedule at the best recommended time. And so you start to see that um, if you want to kind of save yourself time as like a bit of a one-person team, 
best practice, like if you can leverage a tool that will give you data about like, when is your audience most likely to be online and engage? That's a huge help because you don't need to track all that data yourself to figure it out. But best practice in terms of scheduling is being consistent. Ultimately, I'd say you probably would want to do <clears throat> at least kind of every other day at a minimum to keep top of mind. But obviously, depending on the size of your team, creating that content can be a little bit challenging. So thinking about ways that you can take a story and breaking it out into multiple pieces can help with that content challenge as well. And then you can kind of schedule a regular rhythm around when your audience is typically online. And I think ultimately understanding who your audience is that you're trying to reach, what platforms they use, when are they typically online, that will help you kind of gauge, oh, okay, they're kind of online most mornings or most evenings when they're out of work. Um, off work, sorry, <laughs> not out of work. And therefore we, we're gonna target our content to them in those moments and, and to Laura's point about entertaining content, whether that's more like giving them inspiration and, and hope or, or educating them, you know, you can really, I think, lean into that type of data to help maximize the posting. I think you don't need to be multiple posts a day. Like I think in the past we had seen that, mm. but the algorithm really is going to showcase and surface the content that's that's ideally most relevant for those folks. So you wanna make it quality over yeah. quantity, but you can spread content out a little bit and kind of tease it along and tie them together. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, and that actually touched, that you touched on Nathan's question, which I think uh, a lot of my listeners, um, a lot of my followers are this one person comms mm -hmm. team, or even it's comms is a piece of their job. They might be development director and comms is their, is one piece of their job. I think for this question, my advice would be focus, like less is more, focus on mm -hmm. fewer channels because the reality is creating the content, managing the community and the comments, the measurement and analysis, research, staying on top of the trends, what's working, what's not on this particular platform. All of that takes time and you can't really miss a piece of that. Like you have to be doing, not just pushing out content, you really have to be, um, invested and engaged. And it might not be possible to do that on five platforms. It really might be best to focus on one or two that you can do really well. I don't know if you want to add to that, Laura. Um, well, I fully agree. And I think that maybe leads into kind of our advice on platforms from the trends for this year. Yes, you know, yes let's do it. And that's I Catherine's that's question too. It will platform. <laughs> um, you know, we're really seeing that there is a need, like you said, for organizations to cut back and focus on their champion platform. So when you can take the time to do those audits and realize what's performing well for you, we're very much encouraging organizations to not be scared to let go of, maybe even leave altogether platforms that aren't performing as well. Um, what we see from our data is that nonprofit organizations are most confident that Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram are delivering positive ROI for their organizations. There's a bit of a unique pocket of WhatsApp users as well. Um, only 7% of our respondents are actually using WhatsApp, but of the, that 7%, they're really confident in their returns. So could be something worth exploring, but is a little bit more niche, obviously, in its use. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're really what we really see is that people are sometimes nervous that they'll lose an audience if they leave a platform or they feel like they have to have a presence on, you know, all the, the prominent platforms. 
and it's just not true anymore. Um, the average social media user is logging into about seven platforms every month. And so they will see your content somewhere. You know, it's likely if they were following you on Twitter and or X, and that's no longer the best platform for you. I'm not saying that's true for every organization, but if that's the case, they're likely following you on Instagram as well. Um, so we just really think organizations to save yourself the time and to be able to create that quality content and have time to run those audits, you don't need to be everywhere anymore. And and just to kind of, and you I know, know, one of the oh, questions yeah, we see, yep. yeah, it's um, nonprofits often ask, okay, if I am thinking about leaving a platform, what's mm -hmm. the best practice? And so, you know, definitely don't like delete your account, hang on to that handle and kind of transition out of it. Make a small campaign where you do a few posts leading up to it, letting people know where to find you for most active content, you know, update the banner images and, and your, your uh, bios to let people know what are the other networks that you're going to focus on. And you can give that kind of nice look. It's not like you've just ghosted for, um, your audience there, your community, you've invited them to kind of find you elsewhere or, you know, say like, if you want more of this type of update, come over here. That's a nice way to kind of transition out of it and then not lose the handle. You don't want anyone grabbing it and impersonating your nonprofit. So really important not to like delete your accounts, but just let people know where to find you. Mm -hmm. That's such a great piece of advice. I know when I left, Twitter when it was still Twitter before it was X um, mm -hmm. when Elon Musk bought it. I it was really a sad moment for me. I'd really I'd built I yeah. had 18,000 followers. Like I'd really built up a community there. I'd met a lot of my friends and consultants mm -hmm. and colleagues on the platform. And I did exactly what you said. I didn't delete it. I just said uh, I've decided to focus on LinkedIn. I've decided to focus on my podcast, these other platforms, here's ways to reach me. Mm -hmm. And I sort of phased it out. And then in my bio, I have that information as well. And I also think another important point is when you are choosing to invest your time and resources in a platform, you also have to, as a nonprofit, make sure that I know why I should follow you there. Like wh mm -hmm. what are you sharing on Instagram? Are you sharing fun stories and reels or behind the scenes information or are you sharing you know you know stories on your staff your interns your volunteers and then maybe on linkedin you're sharing more professional research um you're sharing more industry insights and then on facebook maybe you're sharing more events or vi live video or something so let people know if you are on multiple platforms you know why they really should be following you specifically. And not everyone's going to follow you on all of your platforms. I usually pick one or two. I mean, I'm thinking of the nonprofits I follow. I usually follow them either on Instagram or Facebook. I don't think I would follow them on both mm. unless I was very invested, just depending on yeah. um, what I like to use, what I like to see and, and what they're sharing. Are you finding that mm -hmm. in the, um, also I wanted to talk on one other a platform specific point that I thought was really interesting from this report was that your research found out that LinkedIn was higher engagement than Facebook. Am I getting that right, Laura? Um, opposite, actually. For we see Facebook. I mean. Yeah, oh, we okay. see Facebook being really being used at higher rates than other industries are using it. LinkedIn is also very okay. high. So um, yeah, they're mm -hmm. It's yeah, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook are all, I would say, very close in usage for nonprofits. But Facebook's a little bit of the outlier where we're seeing nonprofits still lean in and see results there more than other industries are. 
Um, but on the yeah. on the LinkedIn point, like you said, I think it's very important to know who your audience is there and specifically how to use it because you might run very different campaigns on LinkedIn or that might be where you reach out to potential corporate donors um, or share research, like you said, that your nonprofit is doing. Mm -hmm. Another point in the report that I do really want to talk about is generative <laughs> AI, artificial intelligence, just because it's such a hot topic and it's mm -hmm. just such a polarizing topic. Um, it's controversial. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people are scared. Some people are excited. I'm kind of a combination of all of them. But I find um, with this huge tool, with the huge power and potential on the rise, nonprofits really have to navigate the balance between efficiency and authenticity. And mm -hmm. I think that is so key. And so what are some ways that either you're seeing or some ideas that you might have to effectively incorporate these AI tools into social media strategies without compromising authenticity? Mm -hmm. You know, we are seeing, I think, that feeling that you have of it being a little bit scary, a little bit exciting is what everyone is feeling. And I don't think anyone has a perfect answer for it yet. Um, we are seeing a little bit of friction right now between how readily audiences are embracing AI and how eager marketers are to use it. Um, we don't want people to shy away from it because of that, but it is important yeah. to know a little bit about who your audience is. Um, specifically, there's a bit of a generational difference of how trusting people are of AI. So you might want to be aware of that if you, you know, if you have a Gen Z or millennial audience, they might be a little bit more trusting. But in saying that, to answer your question a bit more directly, Julia, we think, you know, to find that balance between the human touch to really maintain those trusting relationships with your audience and then finding efficiency through the bots, um, we would yes. suggest the human touch is really important for things like creating your content strategy for social, editing and refining your captions before they go out, um, ensuring you know your images and your posts are up to your brand standards, interacting in the comments section with your supporters, and then also doing that final monitoring for brand safety and compliance risks. But then you might want to utilize AI for things like brainstorming ideas, um, doing the, that first mm -hmm. pass at your content suggestions or your captions. Like for example, the um, Hootsuite platform has Owly Writer, which will suggest a caption for you. And then we suggest that you take your human lens and make sure that that works for you before you just send it out into the universe. Right. Right. Yeah, the trust right. part's really know. interesting, yeah. isn't it? Like it's- Trust is huge. You know, the nonprofits that we've spoken to about this particular trend feel quite strongly about not using AI generated images, for example, and being really transparent mm -hmm. with your audience about where you're going to use AI so that it's not a surprise. They don't feel deceived. And, you know, I think there's a real potential for for AI kind of generated content to potentially impact that trust that you have with your audience. So being really cautious about that, having an internal policy is key. But then, yeah, leverage it where it makes sense. Use the data to help you find the best times to post. Recommend topics and content based on your past performing content. That's all very helpful for saving time. And you don't need to spend hours doing that type of work, but you can then tweak it and be so much more efficient. Yep. And I know that um, our friends at Neon One CRM, mm -hmm. they've released an email marketing report 
And a lot of the analysis was done with ChatGPT. Mm. So mm. they did an email subject line analysis around the most highest performing uh, words in a subject line. Mm -hmm. What's the best day to send? Um, They did a sentiment analysis on the subject lines. Like do subject lines that use positive words work better than maybe negative words? I mean, there's so many ways we can use Mm -hmm. ChatGPT other than just like creating content from scratch. Another way I like to use it um, with my clients, if you upload your annual report or some data from your annual report and you just say, create five LinkedIn posts, and then mm-hmm. you can tweak them. You can look at them and say, oh, this is really interesting. This is a point I wasn't thinking of. The way I like to think of, I use ChatGPT. I know there's a million um, generative AI tools out there. It's just the intern that I don't have. <laughs> it's like the assistant I don't have. Yeah. Like here, look at this, generate um, a list of bullet points from this this. Um, report or this news article, you know, do some research for me on this. What are some ideas that you have? How could I tweak this to make it maybe 500 words instead of 1500 words? It really is. You should look at it more as like that assistant and that, Mm -hmm. um, that it's saving you time. It's not taking your job. It's really just saving you time. And Mm -hmm. we all know that time is money. So I think those are some really, really great, great points there. So Catherine's question, I like because I think it's a bigger question. So she's a very specific question around, um, and for our podcast listeners, I want to read it. Our grassroots nonprofit has been really struggling with social media. Mm -hmm. Will you be talking about the use of LinkedIn? And then this question, do you have advice about a good place to offer support to parents who are cutting back on paid work to spend time with their infants? So Mm -hmm. what I want to do is rather than maybe answer that specific question, I would probably say, uh, Pinterest, because that's a great place for parents. And I know Instagram is a great place. But Mm. I would, um, where can you find your audience? Like, what are some tools and tactics and strategies that nonprofits can use to find their specific audience, like Catherine has a very specific audience? Yeah, that's a good point. Like the audience research piece is so important to getting things right. And I would say, you know, mm-hmm. don't be afraid of just having some one-to-one conversations. I think we find we get the most value out of having a personal conversation with someone, let's say at a nonprofit, because we want to understand what the challenges are. And if we're looking to reach a type of audience, all you really need is like one or two folks who can help point you towards the communities that they're really engaged in. And then from there, you can kind of keep snowballing. So it's, a, it's um, I wouldn't say, you know, like obviously you could Google certain communities and maybe Reddit might have a really good community and you could, you know, create a profile and then post in there and ask folks. But I think people are really open to, if you ask a question, if you post like in a LinkedIn community group, which is a great use of LinkedIn, or if you post in a Facebook group and you know, or find someone who is a member of the community you're trying to reach. That's a really nice way to do it where it's it's authentic. You're kind of reaching out saying, I'd like to, you know, I can offer value for this group. I, you know, this is what I want to do and, and who I want to reach. And do you know any, can you recommend where I can start? And it will kind of grow from there. And then the more time you spend in those communities, you'll see other paths as well. Oh, absolutely. Laura, do you have anything, any other tactics you've seen to do audience research? I mean, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think we also always encourage to make sure you are reaching the right audience to run like demographic uh, analysis as part of your, when you're doing audits of your different platforms, just 
double checking, you know, are the people that are interacting with your posts, the, the donors or the volunteers that you are looking to reach and just confirming those things through the abundance of data that you can get from each of the platforms once you think you have found that right audience. It's a good confirmation. And, and definitely don't write out collaborations too. Let's say there's another nonprofit that mm. is working in that space. Um, one of the questions we often get is how do I reach a new type of audience? Or if I know who I want to target and I don't know how to get there, finding another nonprofit who's complementary to you and working together on a campaign benefits both groups because you can, or it doesn't have to be another nonprofit. It could be a, a brand or a product, but partnering on an initiative. Um, and this is kind of what I found a lot in my early career was I would bring in nonprofits that were relevant for my campaigns to add a bit more purpose and meaning to it and awareness. And it's a nice way to reach their audience that they get to reach your audience. There's mutual uh, collaboration on content. So it's lightening the load on both sides, ideally. And you can typically use that to kind of reach new audiences as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would see who already has your audience and go to them. Mm -hmm. So who are the bloggers? Who are the Instagram influencers? Who's on TikTok using the hashtags that your audience uses? And mm -hmm. try to create partnerships with them or just see what they do. See the kind of content that they create that's really resonating with this audience. What we tend to do is create the content we want to create and then get mad when our audience is not attracted to it. But we haven't done the research to really figure out what our audience wants and what they're attracted to. Um, so I'm going to kind of skip around here because I think, I mean, there's a lot of questions, but I, this was one that I wanted to ask from the report. Uh, are you seeing anything around the type of content? I know you talked about entertainment. Um, that's performing best in the NPO space. So Danielle was saying UGC, which is user generated content versus infographics, et cetera. Yeah, it's such a good question. You know, I don't think we're seeing video go anywhere anytime soon short video is definitely still performing very well for organizations can be time consuming we understand that so we recommend you know using different tools available um that might help with those things or thinking about how can you turn some of your images into reels how can you do behind the scenes at your organization you don't need these like perfectly curated uh you know professional videos in order for them to perform well on social when it comes to things like user generated content, that's always going to be really helpful for what your audience is finding valuable. And so when we talk about entertainment, it's really about talking about what engages your audience. So if you can get the people who support you to be talking about why they're emotionally invested in you and you know they're the ones that are kind of selling your mission instead of you, that's always going to resonate really, really well, no matter what space you're in. Yeah. Ava, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen for, for a few years now that your content doesn't have to be perfectly polished. I think people appreciate transparency into what's happening behind the scenes and the people that you're serving. And that's that's a tricky one. Obviously, you can't always highlight directly the, you know, the clients that you have as a nonprofit. But, um, you know, quick behind the scene kind of film self like those that, that type of imperfect content actually does kind of tug a little bit at the emotions that someone might have looking at it and they're not expecting a nonprofit to do extremely beautiful finished marketing campaigns. Um, you know, if anything, it kind of, you, you want to make sure that people are thinking, okay, they're, they're not spending a huge amount of budget on 
really perfect videos, for example, but ideally the content that you're building here, you could create a piece of content and then turn it into a few different styles of content to test and learn which one works best on which channel. So if you had like, you know, seven services that your nonprofit provides, turn it into an infographic about those that you served. You could break those into individual little story pieces. Um, but testing and learning is, is quite important for this question because you will find that different kinds of content perform better in different networks. They're kind of built differently, like Instagram does well <clears throat> visually for videos like TikTok and maybe LinkedIn is better at more article based content. Like it's, it does take a little bit of playing around, but to, to your point, Julia, like looking at what others that inspire yep. you are doing is a great way to kind of think, oh, I'm going to start there. Like this seems to be working well for them. It doesn't have to be the same yep. industry. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I guess to this question and Cassie, I see your question, but I think, um, Bridie's question relates really to what you were just talking about, Ava. Would you recommend cross-posting the same things across one or two platforms, keeping them all differentiated? And I mean, for me, you could repurpose and recycle content. If you have a fantastic research report, like I'm working with the Boston Foundation and they do a workforce report. Um, so they would post probably the PDF or even the link on LinkedIn. Then on Instagram, they wouldn't do that because it's harder to post a, a link in a post. They would probably do a short video or maybe an infographic or a graphic. So I think taking into account the strengths of the platform mm -hmm. and certainly can be the same content, but you need to judge it, if you will. Yeah, I think playing so, to strengths yeah, is a great way to put think. it. Yeah, anything, yeah, playing to strengths. Yeah, it's like what it's, works, um, you know, and that's the challenge is like you can't repurpose a research report for TikTok. You can't post a PDF on TikTok. Like you have to create content that works on TikTok. You have mm -hmm. to create content that works on Instagram. They are mm -hmm. different countries. You know, it's sort of like, I always say this to, in my social media for Social Good Academy, if you buy a guidebook for France, it's not going to work for Germany. Like, even though they're right next to each other, you know, and they're very small and they're, they're all in Europe. I mean, it's not the same. They're not the same. So you certainly can travel to all of these countries, but the strengths, you know, best practices, etiquette, language, behaviors, all of these platforms, um, they're so different. So cross-posting, yes, but you have to mold it into what it, into what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to get to, um, let's see, I don't know if we'll be able to get to all these questions, but Cassie's question about balancing campaigns to your audience um, versus campaigns to, I guess, a, a not warm audience. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What would you, what um, would you say? I'm just rereading the question here. So how do you recommend balancing ad campaigns to your audience? Maybe how to balance ad campaigns versus, versus organic. organic posting for donation ads. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing about, you know, paid social, and we get a lot of questions about, you know, when should it be organic and mm. when should I use paid? And, you know, what is really effective yes. about paid is lookalike audiences. Like if you want to target those that look most like your top 1% or two, 3% of your audience that's engaged and donating, you know, there are some pretty powerful advertising tools that can help you reach the people who are most like 
your, let's say, warm audience or those who are already contributing. So ad campaigns are, are phenomenally helpful for reaching new similar audiences to help you grow or reaching a new demographic that you mm -hmm. want that you haven't gotten in front of. So, you know, it obviously comes down to, to budget and having a really clear call to action as well. So, um, you know, organic posting for donation asks, you're going to reach the current audience you have. And that may not actually be the audience you want to reach for a donation ask. People may be following you for different reasons. So it's... Um, it's, it can be challenging. You've kind of spent time building an audience. You might need to reach a different kind of person for a fundraising ask. And that's where paid can be really helpful. Yes, I agree. And I see ads. Um, I think the best fundraising ads are very time specific and very mm -hmm. donation ask specific. So I've seen a lot right now that's, you know, donate um, to support a family for the holidays or, $5 will feed a family for Thanksgiving, you know, whatever it might be. So it's, if it's timely and relevant and urgent, like why this, why now mm -hmm. reaching a complete stranger um, in that way could be effective. But yeah, I do think targeting a warm audience first, people that know you and know a little bit about you might be, mm -hmm. might be more effective. Um, yeah. This question from Marty gets into a question that I had around the, the report, the findings of the report, which I mean, the report really found that entertainment is going to take, you know, center stage, right? So the report suggests that nonprofits should turn to entertainment. And I th think that that's where nonprofits struggle. I know that's where nonprofits struggle. So Marty asks, is it okay to post very unrelated posts for fun? Like today is National Cat Herding Day and we support people with disabilities. What are your thoughts? What were the findings from the report? You know, when we when we look at the data from the report and we talk about entertaining, I think it's just important to keep in mind that entertaining doesn't have to mean fun, humorous, lighthearted. Um, that's kind of what we go to first is that type of content on social. But when it's entertaining, yes. entertainment definition really just means enjoyment and enjoyment can mean a lot of different things. It's basically what is your audience coming your organization for specifically on social to find value from so my reaction to this would be to really lean more into things that are relevant to your organization so if for example plan international canada supports women and girls and when barbie was really massive this year that was a great way they could take a very popular trending thing that people were already gravitating towards and make a direct brand tie to what they actually do. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say if there's, you know, fun days like this or fun trends or calendar moments and you can make a tie to your organization, that's a really good way to hop on. Um, but if there's trends that are out there that are a bit of a stretch, it's okay to, to leave those ones and not try to jump on, on every single fun day or fun trend. I don't know, Ava, what are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like if you, for example, with this particular example, of, I've not heard of National Cat Herding Day, but I, I love it. Um, you know, if there was maybe a natural story Every that you day come across from day. some, yeah, right? Um, like if a natural thing happened and you were like, oh, that's great. And we'll, you know, we've got permission to share it and we're going to capture this. Like maybe it's a video or a moment or, or something and you can tie it to a moment, then then great. Like it does have to feel kind of natural and not forced if it's if it's not directly related. But, um, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to feature how animals 
are helping those who have disabilities in, in recovery, for example. Um, you could potentially find ties to, to Laura's point, but it, it would be more beneficial to plan for the national days that have a more relatable tie-in so that you mm -hmm. can capitalize on those, those discussions, yeah. Yep, and I love um, Wayne's comment. He used BARD, which is generative AI, and asked your question, Marty, and got a lot of different answers. You can see that in the comments, but that is a fantastic use of AI is to type these questions in and just kind of see what happens. You might mm -hmm. get some good responses. Mm -hmm. um, okay, we've just two more questions. I know we're like at time. Um, the best way to research your audience, we talked a little bit more about this. What do you think about surveys specifically? I, I like a survey, especially if someone signs up for an email newsletter, if you ask them that they're most engaged at that point, um, or maybe polls on social media, but do you have any other mm -hmm. ways that you that you've seen that work? Surveys are great. I was, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Julia. We always encourage to use the actual poll and Q&A functions on social because you should ask questions to your audience about what content they are appreciating seeing, um, you know, if it's if it's hitting the mark or not. So don't be afraid to, like we've been saying, like go back to the interaction routes on social instead of the transactional routes. And that's one way that you can really make it feel like a two-way conversation is just ask what, what's valuable to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other um, the other way is to kind of take a look at. Let's say you found a community of audience members that you want to attract, or <clears throat> they're in a, you know another group that they're active in. Just externally looking at engagement is a really valuable tactic for understanding what they want, how they're consuming content, what resonates, and the, the comments they're leaving. So, you know, I rec we recommend looking at brands that you admire and other networks, other industries. Get inspiration from everywhere, and then bring that back to your channel and your mm -hmm. community. Perfect. Okay. One last question that I want to leave us with some trends and some thoughts for, for the new year, but animation on graphics, does using mm. animation on graphics, converting it from a JPEG or PNG to MP4 help posts perform as well as video content in your opinion, or do you think it's platform and channel specific? I think it helps. Uh post-performance yeah. and stop the scroll, but I do think it depends on the platform. Yeah. I agree. I think platform will play a bit of a role here. Like I do think Instagram is probably prioritizing more motion than static content because they've been, you know, really trying to make reels happen. And, um, you know, some, some platforms are obviously very like video first. So in those cases, um, it's actually helpful sometimes to follow the folks who are from the company. So Adam Masseri is a great example of on Instagram, follow him and he will kind of give you these insights along the way to help guide you on how you, how they're thinking about the platform, where they're investing their time. And those investments they're making as a company is gonna indicate what format of content is actually going to be prioritized probably in the future. So he's kind of alluded to the fact that, yeah, move like um, videos and, and things are, are typically seeing more folks um eyeballs on that platform so yeah good question i love that that's such a great idea follow the people that mm -hmm. work on the platform or follow the people that are really successful or that actually you know creating these features. Mm -hmm. um and it the challenge here is that it changes constantly like we will hopefully do this next year 
and potentially there might be a new platform. I mean, like if it's something mm -hmm. like threads, you can't put photos and videos. So, yeah. you know, it's very text-based. So it does, it does on the platform. All right. My last question, uh, while I still have you, so the report, I am going to put the link again um, in the comments, suggests that 2024 may be social media's most pivotal year. So what developments or changes do you foresee shaping the social media landscape for nonprofits and how can organizations prepare for what lies ahead? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, such a huge question. There's so much going on in the social media world. Um, what we see from the report research is that strategic nonprofits for 2024 are really ready to get more focused on what's working well for their organization instead of trying to maintain presence across all the platforms and you know stay on the bandwagon just because it's what everyone else is doing. Um, and we also know that the strategic organizations will take their social content strategies back to their roots, which is really focusing on interaction with their audience versus transaction. Um, you know, we've seen social until this point grow so much in sophistication and how organizations can use it. But a side result of that is that it's also become very transactional. So we just think there's a really huge opportunity for organizations this year to play a lot that long game on social. Remember that fundraising is one content pillar and focus on relationship building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the long term game, I think it's really hard to balance the short term asks from leadership and pressures that marketers may be facing within nonprofit organizations. But if we look at that bigger picture beyond even social, you know, what's what is kind of concerning is that, you know, we're seeing a bit of a downward trend in giving across the globe as, you know, with recent Giving Tuesdays as an example, but the demand for the services that nonprofits are providing is only growing and the cost of providing those services is growing. So you've got this inherent battle between increasing demand, increasing cost, but not necessarily as much funds coming in to help with that growing demand. So getting it right on social is going to be really critical for not only, you know, finding those people who need your services and, and raising awareness, but also getting help and getting those folks who follow you to support you financially is going to be so essential. So taking the time now to refine your social strategy to what works and the platforms that are most impactful and having a really clear tracking structure. And we we do have a lot of templates and reports available too that we can we can share on the comments here for this specifically so that you're not creating them from scratch. But you know with everyone with all the work that's on everyone's plates, typically being a one person communication team or multiple responsibilities, ensuring that you're not wasting your time on social and that you're doing the things that are going to yield long-term results is just so essential at this point for, for everyone that's like relying on the nonprofits and, and supporting the nonprofits. So that's kind of, yeah, why we feel so passionately about this report and, and these trends. Yes, let's do our work more efficiently, more authentically, more effectively, um, because it's really really important work. So I love that. On that note, thank you so much, Laura and Ava, for being here and for sharing all of these fantastic insights um, with my audience. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. All of the links. Um, if you want to connect with Laura and Ava, I put their LinkedIn profiles. Um, they'll be in the nonprofit show notes and they're going to be in the comments. And a link to download the report um, is there as well. So I just want to thank everyone for coming. I really want to thank you both for just being so generous with your time and for being so generous with doing this kind of important research. So 
Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for all the great. Bye.